Um, as much as I'd like to be playful this morning, we are approaching a very solemn season in the church. And um, I find that the story of the transfiguration is extraordinary for lots of reasons. Um, but one of them is because, at least as far as the synoptic gospels go, each evangelist uses it um, in a very unique way. Uh, Matthew makes it about law and Luke makes it about prayer. Uh, it's a lot more sparse in Mark. But all of those things point to the fact that it is a story that preceded the written Gospels. Does that make sense? A story that preceded all of the written Gospels. So it it abides in a way. Something luminous, numinous, ineffable happened. What was it? I wonder how long it lasted. Was it a moment, as Emily Dickinson describes, as the soul's distinct connection, the soul's distinct connection, she writes, with immortality is best disclosed by danger or quick calamity. As lightning on a landscape exhibits sheets of space, not yet suspected, but for flash and click and suddenness. You ever seen Horizon Line that's lit up by that flash of lightning for an instant? Biblical scholar Edward Schweitzer wrote that in the transfiguration for a brief moment, the curtain was drawn aside and the disciples were allowed to see Jesus, see in Jesus something of the glory of God and of that other life to which human eyes are otherwise blind. In the elusive presence, the French-American Protestant theologian Samuel Terrian attempted to establish a groundwork for his theology on the theme of the mysterious presence of God. And he wrote, human beings discern God's presence as a surging which soon vanishes and leaves in its disappearance an absence that has been overcome. Emily Griffin, an absence that has been overcome reminds me of R.S. Thomas, doesn't it? Uh, but Lent hasn't begun. If you know R.S. Thomas, that cold Welsh poet. Whatever happened on that mountain, the story as it was told and retold and retold again long before the Gospels were written um, by the end of the first century, it had etched itself into the minds of all three evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, into the heart of the early church. Um, hear this as evidence that the synchronicity of the synoptic accounts set the event beyond the lives of those who were physically present. The point here is that we shouldn't go looking for evidence that might demonstrate the historicity of what happened. What we are to hope and to pray for this morning is our own glimpse of the glory 
that is divine. The glory that is manifest all around us. The burning bushes that are so easy for us to pass by. The root of the word glory, kabod in Hebrew, means heavy or weighty. Heavy is the presence of God and the depth of God's own being, the heart of the divine. And so on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John witnessed something of the glory of God and of the divine life to which human eyes are otherwise blind. Uh, but as of yet, they couldn't understand the glories, they couldn't understand glory's weight or its meaning. Um, the meaning being that was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer and then enter into God's glory. I was playful earlier. Lent is not begun, but it is nigh. Each evangelist in the New Testament, if you're not following, places the transfiguration story alongside Jesus' proclamation of his imminent suffering and death. The weight of that matter for us, I think, on this, our last Sunday after the Epiphany, before Ash Wednesday, is that the numinous experience of glory glimpsed on the mountain, the glory of God's elusive presence is only partial and the fullest expression of God's glory or resurrection is yet to come. But to see that glory, the glory of which human eyes are otherwise blind and to feel its weight or to be changed by it means that we all need to look for a vision of glory that is very much paradoxical or opposite to our perceptions about success. A simpler vision, maybe, but not an easy vision. The glory of the resurrection is the revelation of God in Christ that teaches us that light is revealed in darkness that triumph is wrought through defeat, that our greatness is most divinely expressed only in our humility, and that our freedom is most fully expressed in our obedience to the radical love to which God calls us a radical devotion to neighbor, to opponent, and even to enemy. As Jesus came down from that mountain and set his face toward Jerusalem, toward his glorification, he entered the way of the suffering servant and exactly in that way he expressed or revealed the heart and the glory of his God and our God. Thank you for bearing with me. The brilliant story of the Transfiguration shows us as lightning on a landscape exhibits sheets of place that in following in the way of Jesus, a new life and a new way and a more glorious way of living can begin. But it in, in, again, it is an, an elusive glory, a contrary glory, a road less traveled, 
and perhaps a road we'd rather not take, but if so, we should reconsider. In our customary time of silence in response to the gospel, we might imagine ourselves coming down from a mountain, having overcome an absence newly open to our transformation into images from one degree to another of a more glory-sighted people, responding ever more faithfully as disciples who are called to serve others and to be stewards called to bless and keep this world as we remember especially the people of Ukraine and Turkey and Syria and with the hope that peace may prevail in the world and in our own hearts let us pray grant us Lord that we beholding life by faith the light of Jesus countenance may we be strengthened to bear our cross and to be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.